0: are four teaching friends from across the country. Who've discovered that if you don't laugh, you cry and lose sight of your why. I'm Deanne. I'm Tracy. And I'm Kathy. And we teach so hard. You know it's hard. I sure do.
1: (laughs) Implementing (laughs) implementing student choice in response and assessments in a culturally responsive classroom. Another tongue twister. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, (laughs) Welcome to part four of our Four part series. I gotta
2: say, okay, now, Deanne, <laughs> before we go on, what's really hard is saying that 10 times
1: fast. <laughs> uh, yes.
0: Oh no, now I have to say it too. <laughs> Welcome to the fourth episode of a four-part series on fostering a culturally responsive classroom. Good Good job. Culturally responsive teaching, yay, is a pedagogy that recognizes the importance of including students' cultural references in all aspects of learning, basically teaching diverse learners. So today we're going to be talking about how allowing students to choose how they respond and are assessed is a game changer in your classroom. It allows students to feel empowered. They feel safe and respected in class. Kids are finding motivation in learning. And I hope, I think, and I've seen their attitudes really begin to change around school and learning because they see it now as fun and stress-free, especially when they have a choice also when they, in the way that they respond and demonstrate their learning. It's not It's not one size fits all. So Well, it's so much
2: student efficacy with that, isn't there? They feel like they have the ownership. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, yes. And they take the ownership.
1: And that's so important for them to feel that
0: and do that. So why don't we review what some of the characteristics are just of culturally responsive teaching for those of our listeners who are just coming in for the first time and didn't get to hear our last three episodes?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I think the first part is to have positive perspectives with for parents and students and families, um, you know, to have like a kind of a growth mindset when you're interacting with people and um, to appreciate and acknowledge that there are going to be cultural differences and being aware of those as much as possible can only be helpful.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, awesome. definitely and communicate um high expectations for your students so they achieve they 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 try to
0: do the best that they can <clears throat> and just kind of going back for one second to what you said Tracy about the parents and families is you know expecting and letting parents and families know your expectations that what they have what they know is valuable mm-hmm. you know i think sometimes our sometimes we tend to get stuck in our teacher ease or teacher speak and unintentionally leave parents out of what we're talking about, even when we're talking about their own child, you know, we have to be really careful about that. So just.
1: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And parents know so much more about their children than we do, or at least most parents do. So they can be very helpful. Yeah. How about student
2: centered instruction too?
1: Mm I think that's
2: one of my favorites that um, I still go back to that cooperating teacher I had when I was student teaching, you know, if you're doing all the talking, who's doing the learning then? Mm
0: -hmm. So it has to be student-centered. Definitely. Uh, Culturally mediated instruction, you know, making sure that we are aware of who's in our class. (laughs) I think that's a big (laughs) thing. Um, I know one thing that's been helpful is at the beginning of each year, I make a grid out of who, you know, the students in my class and then even list things about, uh, interests, hobbies, culture, like things like anything I can think about. So when I quickly scan it, I know who my kids are Uh, and that, you know, and that way, that way too, like I make sure I check in with my kids. You know, if I know that they are dancers and they had a dance competition, you know, Hey, how was your dance competition this weekend? Or can you show us another way to do this? You know, just try to really personalize the way that you interact with your kids.
1: Yes. Yeah that's so important too. Uh, also reshaping the curriculum to make it more diverse and to yes. deal with the different cultures. Mm-hmm.
2: And what don't forget teacher as facilitator, not mm-hmm. as the giver of knowledge or Moses right. bringing the commandments down from Sinai, yeah. right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that your role is a facilitator. Um, you know, you are you're there to facilitate learning. Um, Not hammer it into their heads. So, those are, that's it, that's a kind of a snapshot of the characteristics of some culturally responsive teaching. So, let's go on and talk about while we're working on all this good stuff that we just talked to you about in our culturally responsive classrooms. Let's talk about some of the benefits of allowing student choice when you're asking students to respond to their learning um, or even on how they will be assessed. Well, students, okay, brace yourself. I'm going to tell you the secrets of the universe, right? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't exactly earth-shattering, but there's it, it's true that students learn more when they're motivated. Um, we all know from experience that when students have energy and passion for their work and that they're driven to excel, that they can accomplish incredible feats. And this, this actually kind of reminds me, um, I remember I was sitting in um, – one of the workshops I took with Ron Richard, who is one of the authors of Making Thinking Visible. And he talks about um, the difference um, between work and learning. And there is a difference. Um, And by his definition, learning is what occurs when students are engaged and um, reflective on their own thought processes and are um, entrenched in what they're doing. Work is when you hand them a worksheet and you're asking them to do 30 math problems. Um, boring. Well, yeah. and It's not it's about just being boring or not boring. There's, it's, it's a real flip, a real switch. And we, we mm-hmm. see both in our classrooms um, every day. But where we want to hang out more is in that learning part of it. Because when we when we get kids into that mindset, They'll do anything for us because they're
0: engaged. Right. That just reminded me of that work and learning and the way that you described it is kind mm-hmm. of, you know, when you walk into a classroom and sometimes t- depending on the administration, certain cl- uh, teachers are being praised as being these great teachers because when you walk into their classroom, their kids are all in their seat and it's quiet mm. because yeah. they're working. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But many That's times right. if you go into other teachers' classrooms, I'm sure all of ours included, lots of <laughs> learning is going on as the volume level might be higher because kids are talking and conversing mm-hmm. and they're up and they're moving and they're pointing to things and they're getting so excited to share that mm-hmm. their learning is taking place, right? Exactly. <laughs>
2: right. So it, it's... It's always, we want them to be in that, under that learning umbrella, not necessarily under the work umbrella. And what happens, one of the ways to flip that switch for kids is to make sure that the learning opportunities, you help them discover personal relevance. You help them discover how it connects to their strengths and their interests. And sometimes that's, that's not an easy thing to do, right? Right. You know, not yeah. everyone is going to be, like, I'm teaching um, coordinate graphing right now, and I find myself saying over and over again how this is used in real life. That makes things relevant for kids.
1: Yeah. Right. It does. Right. That was my challenge teaching ancient history. Like, why do you need ancient history? Mm-hmm. You know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so- When we do that, though, another way of making it, flipping the switch for kids is to give them choice. And when choice is used well, it can help overcome all of the common classroom challenges that that we see. Mm -hmm. Choice leads to bigger student engagement, motivation, and efficacy. So it's a big one.
0: It is. It is. Well, especially because, you know, since we have our standards, we can't always choose what we're going to teach. So, kids aren't necessarily choosing, you know, which common core standards they want to learn, but in the right. they often will have choice in the way they go about demonstrating what they know or um, the way that they may choose an aspect of what we have to be teaching. I've, you know, I've seen greater student buy in that way. They're excited because they feel that they have some sort of power over it, you know, that they made that yeah. decision. hmm Yeah.
2: Well, think about yourself as a learner. How many times have we sat in professional development? And I always say, you know, if teachers could remember themselves in a professional learning capacity and how they are as a learner and what's important to them, and then just think about their kids,
1: Mm -hmm. because the same
2: stuff is important. It's true.
1: And it's sad that so many times teachers forget what it was like when they were a learner themselves, you know, and um, it makes for like an unhappy classroom. Mm
2: -hmm. Right. I
1: remember when well, I was, I was, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Deanne. I was just going to say, I remember when I was in seventh grade and I had the worst history teacher. I mean, all he did, you know, we read out of the book and that was it. And we used to call him Smiley O'Reilly and we would just sit in the back of the room and just kind of laugh. It was just terrible. His name was <laughs> O'Reilly and he smiled all the time, but he was
0: terrible. You know,
2: there's a lot worse things that you could come up with than that though. That's not too bad. <laughs>
1: yeah, there were. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that that reminds me, Deanne, of my uh, daughter had a uh, sometime in middle school. I can't remember what grade, but she had a history teacher who taught from her chair. You know the kind that have uh-huh. the rolly chairs oh, that yes. just roll themselves oh, yeah, around yeah. the room. Oh, yes. And, uh-huh. <laughs> and every day, I would ask my daughter what she did, and every day it was a different PowerPoint. And then she would mm-hmm. have different kids in the class read the PowerPoint as she clicked through the slides. <laughs> and oh, I thought, God. oh my goodness. Talk
1: and about this
0: year, Yes. Yeah. And this year, so she hated history. This year she has this phenomenal science teacher, I mean, excuse me, history teacher who she comes home and talks about what they learn. And I said, yeah, okay, if right. she's coming home yeah. from high school and wanting to talk about what she's learning, like, you know, what a big difference that is. That's, that's right.
2: right. <laughs> you know, one well, of the main purposes of choice, I think is to provide students with the, with differentiation. Yes. When you think about, you give a student, I did it just the other day, like in a guided reading group, Um, we've been reading and I gave them a few different ways that they, this is so simple. Like I, I wish I'd discovered this earlier in my career. Instead of all cookie cutter ways that they could respond, I gave them two or three choices of ways they could respond to what they were, going to finish reading, and then bring it to our next meeting so that we could talk about it. Um, Something as simple as that, how they respond in a reader's notebook is huge. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, yes, definitely.
2: Especially then you
0: see your artist kids, and then you see your kids that like things more linear and what kind of things they, Mm -hmm. how they take notes and...
1: Mm -hmm. Well, it is, a, it is a challenge for so many teachers um, to differentiate the instruction for students, um, you know, creating learning experiences for learners of all different uh, learning styles and a heterogeneous grouping. And all groups are supposed to be our heterogeneous ability grouping and tracking only create heterogeneous groups with a narrower range.
0: <laughs> That's um, true.
1: I know. And there's going to be variations in skills and experiences in any group and we can sometimes feel overwhelmed by differentiation, thinking we should create multiple learning experiences for ev- ever for any given group <laughs> to meet everyone's needs. And basically, one of the main purposes of choice is to provide a few options for students and have them self differentiate.
0: Right. It's not the teacher coming up with all these no. different lessons. It's allowing the options of choice so that the students take it in Mm -hmm. different ways and take it. Some kids will go deep and other kids won't. And that's just what they need. You know, it's great. That's right. And when
2: the two meet, sometimes they are able to deepen each other. That's what's so cool is Mm -hmm. to have a child respond to something they've read by doing a, a, a symbolic sketch. And then they're sitting across the table from someone who's made a timeline of the chapter right and to
0: have a conversation about those two things is is huge yes right and i love when kids can share their work you know under the document camera because it's so many other of their peers had not even thought about that type of response or that type of yeah. representation and so then you see we call it borrowing you know, you might want to borrow so-and-so's method, or you might want to borrow, the, right. and that way they don't think like, oh, he's copying me. We said, no, that's great, because you're showing them another way to think. And, you know, I think they love I, I doing it, that.
1: I, I call it inspiring. That's
2: like right. Inspiring. Say, oh, that's, I, this, I like this, that. work was inspired by Van Gogh. When this solution was inspired by, right? Because
1: they've used and borrowed someone else's method. That's right. And right. it's a compliment. It's a real compliment to do that, you know, because the other person has done such a good job, somebody wants to borrow it. Exactly. Right.
2: So I'm sure we don't all have one size fit all classrooms. Boy, wouldn't that be an easy, easy way to teach? Kind of boring though. Um, so let's talk about what are some general ways that you've allowed students choice in responses or assessments?
1: Well, there's loads of ways for students to show what they know from, about content area, from yes, essays to dramatic interpretations, from digital slideshows to sculptures, from websites to podcasts. Students can prove their knowledge and give evidence of their learning in an infinite number of ways. And it makes learning so much more fun when they do you it know, that way. Something you said, Deanne, reminded me.
2: I was, um, years ago, I was, I'm a fellow of the National Writing Project. Oh, um, we do. I was, yeah, look at that. <laughs>
0: Where do we have <laughs> <it right. common. laughs>
2: yeah, I, um, I did mine under the Southern, the, uh, Southern Arizona Writing Project. And um, I still remember this because we had, you know, when you do the writing project, you have teachers from all different levels, you know, in the project. And I remember this high school teacher had done her project on multi, multi-genre research. Papers. And it was fascinating to me. I still have it in my filing cabinet somewhere. Um, you know, <laughs> what she did. It was her action research. And these papers so her high school students researched this topic. And they reported on it. Some of it was written as a newspaper article, and then you would go into like the next subtopic and it would be a poem, and then the next subtopic would be song lyrics, and then the next subtopic might be a timeline. And so it had all this different text, different ways to show meaning within the same research paper.
0: Oh, wow.
2: Yeah, it was really cool. And what um, DM was just talking about, all the different ways to show knowledge, it yes. was such a powerful thing for her high school students um,
0: talk about the ultimate choice. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, and, you know, I'm amazed when I go to, like, different high school or even middle school, like, open houses or they have, um, like, art art exhibitions or whatever to see how talented these kids are at expressing like you were saying through poetry or through a painting or yeah. uh, you know through a multimedia presentation a lot of kids are really so good on the computer unlike myself mm-hmm. and <laughs> you know and really come up with these amazing visuals that that you get across more than any, you know, multiple choice test would have, or Mm -hmm. some kind of short answer test would have, they really go deep.
2: And and I think too, another valuable experience when you do something like this um, is talk about ultimate choice. When you let the the students be part of the rubric creation. Yes. (laughs) I've done that. Um, I've asked my kids, so if you are going to be looking at this, what are the things that would be important for you to see? What What do you think we should have? What do you think we should not be worried about? And we, I use those responses to help um, create a rubric for what I'm
0: assessing. Mm. I do that too. And the interesting thing for that, like we create these criteria charts first, is if they don't mm-hmm. list something that I think they should have, that I am like, oh, I didn't, I must not have taught it or made it important enough for them to think that that's what needs to be included. So it kind of, it's really good for myself then to gauge, oh, what do I need to go back and reteach? Or what mini lesson have I not covered yet? Yes. They can tell you. Yeah, (laughs) that's
2: true. And when you do that, that is a natural segue into students thinking then, How do they self-assess themselves? What is it they need to do better on next time? What are their be sure to's, to quote Ron Richard, what are their be sure to's for the next time they go at this? What are their learning goals?
0: Oh, I like that. That's Yeah, Yeah, actually, we have um, our second round of student-led conferences coming up in a few weeks. And so this is kind of the exciting time of year where we go back to where they set their goals back in the fall. And now they are combing through their work and curating pieces that show evidence of, yes, mm-hmm. I've met these goals or, oops, nope, I'm still working toward them. And <laughs> this is what they present to their parents at our next conference session.
2: Very cool.
0: Yeah, well, it is I, very cool.
2: I think we're kind of getting into our next se- yeah. Our next <laughs> section of our podcast, actually. So let's just transition there. Um, <laughs> we'll get even more specific about ways that we've that we've incorporated student choice into our teaching day Um, and these can be down dirty you know down to the bone easy to do things like you go to school tomorrow and you could implement them very easily
0: The simplest way to um, introduce choice in student work is to let students actually choose (laughs) how they want to prove their learning. So an example is my kids, we were just in a um, nonfiction unit of study uh, during Reader's Workshop. And they each had chosen something they want. I kept it really broad, like something you want to learn about, but it has to be something you really want to learn about, not because somebody else wants, you know, told you. And so they all got out different nonfiction books and they were doing their research. And then they could choose how to present it. And it mm. ranged in everything from this <laughs> this one child was really wanting to learn how to cook. And I said, well you know, are you going to really learn something other than like how to follow a recipe? She goes, no, look at this book. She literally did this whole presentation with charts about all the safety rules in the kitchen, um, what kind of tools you need for what. Mm. Yeah. And then she made us all California roll sushis and brought it in (laughs) for the (laughs) class to try. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and then another student um, uh, did like an interview video on... I can't even remember what he was interviewing about, but like he read the subject, a topic, and then he wrote out the whole interview, and then he videotaped him interviewing a friend um, about the book that he read. Other kids just did a poster. I mean, so it was really fun just to see the way the kids were able to talk about the book they read. and Mm -hmm. they. We're just, they were asking, can we do all of our our research like this? Can we do all of our topics like this? (laughs) I said, well, we can't do each one, but just because of feeling that choice and feeling the way Mm -hmm. they were able to present it that matched their own learning style, I mean, it is like their favorite thing we've done so far this year.
2: Oh, yeah. And projects like that, they just lend themselves so naturally to choice. And then it's to have just a common rubric of even like a checklist. Did they have this? Did they do this? Did they do this? Yeah. Okay, good. Then I know that, you know, they've done what they need to do. Even like something like, um, this is so easy in math class, um, to have students play a game or to have to choose from a menu of games that you've played in the past, you know when you're breaking up into centers, and they that they choose the they game that they want. They menus,
0: yes, <laughs> yeah.
2: Or to say, I've done this also with our math journal work. Um, you know what this this particular journal assignment that we're going to do today? You can choose. You can choose to do it on your own. You can choose to work with a partner, or you can choose to work in a small group. You decide how your grouping will hand will be will you know be arranged. And, and they do, you know, and I always have two or three kids who are like, yeah, no, I want to do it by myself.
0: Yep. I do too.
2: (laughs) And I wish, I wish I had a teacher that did that when I was in school, because I, you know, you've heard my group stories. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And sometimes you just do,
1: sometimes you just want to get it done and do it by Mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah. Well, I, I've had my kids uh, do book reports and what I do is, There's certain choices of the books that they're going to read, but there's certain ways they can report them each month or something. And I give them a choice of how to do it. Like, you know, somebody might want to do it as as a play form. They might want to make a book jacket. Um, They might want to write a poem about it, um, do a diorama. And I I just give them their choice for every single book report that they have to do. And they seem to really like that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun.
2: You know, I also do something – even like um, with my ELA homework, I have a writing stamina journal I ask kids to do. And I, I usually give them like a minimum of what it is that I'm asking them to do um, a night just for free writing. That's all it is. It's just write whatever you want comic strips, sports casts, whatever. And um, I let them do that, but I let them set the goal. And I say to them, you know. I would like you to do 15 minutes a night, but if you want to do more, do it. And I'm shocked with how many kids will say, yeah, I'm going to choose to do 25 this week, a day. (laughs) I love it. You know, because I gave them the choice. It blows (laughs) me away. Same with reading. Um, I tried something different with the conversation club stuff and I'm not doing logs, but I, they know that they're going on Friday they need to talk about a book with a with a their conversation club they're so into it so yeah i read for an hour and a half last night well all righty then <laughs> yeah that's great <laughs> had i had i said to them i'd like you to read for 30 minutes and here's a book log fill it out write the chapter and have your mom and dad sign it <laughs> you know i wouldn't get anything
1: close to that yeah it would have been torture for them
0: Yeah. I heard another teacher kind of does something similar to that, Tracy, in that she says um, that their homework assignment, she gives really open-ended homework. And she says Uh that students work on an assignment until, quote, they are proud, unquote. And she says that she lets them be the ones to decide what that means. And that's that, yeah, and that, I mean, it was so fascinating that's, to me, I said, "Wow, but they start to then take really they they take pride in their work, and they're excited, like you were saying, to show what they learned and to show mm-hmm. what they've read or to discuss what they've read, mm-hmm. yes, Yes. definitely,
2: that's
1: a cool idea. I like that a lot, yeah, mm-hmm. I know
2: my I mean, my mind is turning like, how can I use that
0: right <laughs>
1: what <could I>
2: do? <laughs> um." That's really cool, huh? I, think I love
0: this another- podcast. <laughs> you know, I know I always I, get so many good ideas.
1: <laughs> you know, another another good thing that you could do too is allow students the option of selecting certain questions to answer on a test. Um, you know, or maybe give them a chance to make up points by giving them an extra ch- uh, extra credit one, and mm-hmm. um, they love they love doing stuff like that, and it feels like they have more power over the test.
2: Well, and even that, if you, um, I know certain types of assessments, you know, you could give the the student the choice. Would you like to do a multiple choice? Would you Mm -hmm. like to do a short answer? Would you like to do an essay? Oh, that's right. Yes. All can can assess the
0: same objective.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, I wish my teachers
0: would have asked that. No kidding. Because I would have picked essay every time. I would too. Multiple choice. There's too many variables. How I could explain it, right? And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I hate multiple choice. Yeah, that's no fun. Yeah,
2: totally could have done that. Oh, yeah, been in heaven. You know, we Mm -hmm. could rule the world. We really could. (laughs) (laughs) Well, ladies, we are just about out of time, so let's go to our next segment. What is your number one tip for allowing student choice? in response and assessments in your culturally responsive classroom?
1: Well, I would just have a variety of options for different things that you're doing. Like, as I said, for the book reports, um, I've done something uh, when I do my social studies groups, and I come up with activities for them to do, and each group gets to choose what they want to do. And it's usually the first group that raises their hand, gets the first choice and so on. So mm. just have plenty of activities and stuff for them to choose from.
2: And I think mine is look for the simple ways to give choice. It doesn't always have to be, you know, connected to a big learning event or connected to a huge project. Sometimes just building those small little choices into your students' days um, leads to more engagement, more motivation. and you know, everyone likes to feel kind of in control of their learning and they're going to have that, the sense
0: that they, they have some power over what they do. Right. Just like the difference between when they feel their teacher is giving them a grade versus they're actually earning their grades, yes. right? Yes. And they have control over it. Um, I think mine would be is to follow your students' lead, like get to know your students but then follow their lead. If they sometimes, you know, our kids get bold, and once you give them some choice, they'll say, "Can I do this instead on another project?" And I don't want to just close off and say, "Nope, we all have to do the same thing." Because I've seen mm-hmm. just how much deeper they go once they're allowed that little bit of, um, you know, choice in how they demonstrate their comprehension. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, listeners, this is all we have time for today. We hope you've enjoyed our fourth and final episode in our Fostering a Culturally Responsive Classroom series as much as we have. Be sure to check out our blogs in the show notes. And if you like what you hear, give us a shout out or leave a comment. Give us some stars on your listening platform. And also, I encourage you to check out our other three episodes in this series because they're packed with with culturally responsive goodness, um, <laughs> be sure <to> join us, <laughs> be sure to join us next week. Uh, we'll be talking about project based learning and um, be mucking around and all the glory that is project based learning. Uh, be sure to join us because we know you teach so hard.